Thank you, Ethan. Appreciate that very much. Good singing today, church. Appreciate being together with the people of God. It is an encouragement to me. Uh, Jeremy is preaching, I think, over at North MacArthur today. This is the wrap-up for the Affirming the Faith seminar. We miss him, but he's doing good work over there. Uh, actually, I think I have a report from my wife and, and others that the kind of the star of Affirming the Faith yesterday, if you go by attendance of classes, was Jackie Jordan. Because they wouldn't let men in that room at all. They actually had to shoo men out of it. And it was, the, as far as I could tell, they gave her the biggest classroom. And it was packed out. So bravo, sister. We are, uh, we are proud of the ministry that you carry out. And we're proud that uh, many, many people recognize it. And uh, actually... I got kind of a mini review of some of what Jackie said from Yodi in the car going home, and for quite a while, actually, so you made a big impression on my wife, Jackie. Uh, good job. <laughs> I'm pretty sure she never talks about my sermons that long. Um, and, and it's relevant to what I want to talk about this morning, because in 1 Peter... Peter is writing a ministerial letter. He's writing a letter to help people deal with real-life problems. And uh, Sister Jordan said, you know, you are going to deal with things that make you angry. And she was giving practical instructions on how you're going to deal with that. What do you do? How, what, are, what are ways to do that? And Peter is actually giving instructions on what do you do when you're faced with real injustice, with real, in some cases, real evil? How are Christians supposed to respond? Remember our situation. Peter's in Rome. The Roman Christians are facing injustice. This is the late, you know, this is the, uh, the uh, empireship or emperorship of Nero. And he's writing to Christians who are over mostly in those settlements south of the Black Sea, Pontus and Bithynia and so forth. Christianity really blew up in that area. We know historically, at least within a couple of generations, a Roman governor, Pliny, will write and say, there are so many Christians here that the traditional, you know, our temples, the pagan temples, the temples of Zeus and Aphrodite and so forth, no, nobody comes to them anymore. Nobody's offering sacrifice anymore. There's so many Christians everywhere. And he was trying to take, come up with steps that he could take to suppress Christianity at that point. So we know Christianity was very successful in the areas that Peter's writing to. But because of that, there was official and unofficial, large-scale, middle-scale, small-scale persecution going on. And Peter's writing to say, what are you going to do in those circumstances? What are you going to do in those situations? How are you going to handle it? Because it turns out... Whenever someone does evil to you, there's the evil that you have to face, and there's the temptation to do evil that Satan immediately starts whispering in your ear. Satan always wants to use an outside evil to tempt you with an internal evil. 
That's just the way it is. And so I thought a good way to look at this is to, is to see the three kinds of possible potentials for injustice or evil that he lays out in chapter, the end of chapter 2 and the beginning of chapter 3. So that you could see, him, he's really putting these kind of side by side almost for us. To say, this is what you do when you're faced with evil. How, how do you deal with this? 1 Peter 2, look up in verse 13. This is what Jeremy talked about last week. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether to the emperor as the supreme authority or to the governors, or to those who uh, sent by him to punish those who do wrong and to correct those who do right. For it's God's will that by doing good, you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people. Live as free people, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil. Live as God's slave. Show proper respect for everyone. Love the family of believers, fear God, honor the emperor. This is Emperor Nero we're talking about, a corrupt government, a kind of semi-crazy emperor who, who's messed up several different ways, mentally and emotionally and morally. So still, you've got to give him honor, honor the office. And, uh, and then, down in verse 18 through 20, slaves, in reverent fear of God, submit yourself to your masters. Not only to those who are good and considerate, but also to those who are harsh. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because they are conscious of God, but how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? If you suffer for doing good and you endure it, that's commendable before God. And then at the top of chapter 3, he says this, Wives, in the same way, submit yourselves to your own husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behavior of their wives when they see the purity and reverence of your lives. In all, in, in all three cases, it's talking about situations not of justice, but of potential injustice and evil being done to Christians. The emperor sometimes does justice, but a lot of times may be doing corrupt things. What are you going to do in that situation? He says, some slave masters are good and considerate. Still, you're a slave. Uh, but some slave masters are harsh. What do you do in that situation? If you're a Christian and a slave, how are you supposed to respond? And, you know, there are some Christian marriages, but a lot of times you're a Christian wife married to a non-believing husband, how are you supposed to act in that situation? You need to remember that in this period, husbands had extreme power over their wives and their, their households. I mean, uh, husbands, you know, have power of life and death in certain circumstances over every member of their household, up to and including their wife. It's not that they wouldn't face some consequences and scrutiny for that, but they had that power, certainly under Roman law and de facto under other social systems as well. So what do I do when I'm faced with a husband who uh, is not good, when I'm faced with a master who is straight up evil in addition to the evil of slave owning? What do I do with that? What do I do with an emperor who is like Emperor Nero? How am I, as a Christian, going to deal with true situations of evil? What am I supposed to do with that? Well, that's a, that's a live question that continues to this day. 
And we don't face all of these same situations, but we face many of them very powerfully today because Jesus hasn't come back yet. Some of these situations have changed. Some of these have gotten better. Some of these may have gotten worse in certain ways. But until Jesus comes back, if you're a Christian, you're going to live in a world where evil rises up and you may not have the power to completely change it. So what do you do about it? That's, the, that's what Peter's talking about in this letter. How are you going to bear it when you don't have the power right away to change it? Okay, now a couple of things I want to say so that I'm not misunderstood this morning. Number one, really important. None of these passages justify the evil behavior of oppressors. None of these passages. And I say that because the passage about slave owning, the passage about husbands and wives, and sometimes the passage about governments have all been used to justify oppressive or unjust practices. They don't justify that. And that would be a distortion of reading the word for a slave owner to say, you see, because it says, slaves, here's how you need to behave, that means it's fine for me to be a slave owner and a harsh slave owner. That is a misreading of this passage. That's a misreading of it. It was used that way, but it's a misreading of it. It's kind of like saying, you remember in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, if someone strikes you on the cheek, you should turn the other also? The clear message from that is, it's fine to go around slapping people. Right? That's exactly the same logic as the people who were trying to justify slavery used on passages like this. It does not do it. And that's certainly a misreading of this passage. What it's saying is, there are people who cannot get out of their circumstance. It's an unjust and it's a bad circumstance. How are they going to maintain their Christianity within that circumstance? And that's an important thing for Christians to talk about and to help each other do. Because we are always going to be in a world in which unjust and evil circumstances arise. So what are we supposed to do about that? How are we supposed to behave? This does nothing to justify the oppressors. None of these passages do. Second point I would make, and, and this is an important one, so I hope you're hearing me. All of these passages, this, they give some set of counsel. They are not the whole counsel of Scripture about how to deal with injustice. They give a certain set of counsel. This is not the whole set of counsel. For instance, there is nothing wrong. In fact, we know from approved examples and direct commands that when you have a chance to speak up for your rights, you should speak up for your rights. Sometimes the situation is arranged to make it virtually impossible for you to do that. But when you have a chance to speak up for your rights, you should 
And there's nothing unchristian about doing that. The reason I know that's true, I'll just give you two examples. There are others we, I'm sure we can talk about, but I'll just give you two. Acts 22 and Acts 26. In Acts 22, Paul is about to receive an unjust beating at the hands of Romans who are used to abusing Jews. They're in Jerusalem. They're used to beating up Jews. They're about to beat him just because he's, they think he's the source of a riot in the temple. He appeals in that moment to the fact that he's also a Roman citizen. And they have to stop. They probably could have gotten away with it, but they did stop. They, they, their better natures kicked in, and they did the right thing, and they stopped uh, from administering an unjust beating to him. Acts 26, he's a, he, there's been a request to transfer him out of where he's safe in Caesarea, back to Jerusalem, where there are people who have sworn they want to kill Paul. They're going to find a chance while he's being transferred to murder him. And, and he says, I, I don't think it's safe to go back to Jerusalem. I appeal to Caesar. He has a right as a Roman citizen to be tried in Caesar's court in Rome. And he makes that appeal. He, he appeals to his rights. There's nothing in Scripture that says, if you've got rights, you can stand up for your rights, and you should. You can't stand up for them in an evil way. You can't stand up for them in a hateful way. But there's nothing wrong with standing up for your rights. In fact, you should. Paul, over in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, tells slaves, if you are converted, if you become a Christian while you are a slave, that does not separate you from Christ. You can be a Christian and be a slave. But he then adds, if you get a chance to get your freedom, you should get it. You should get it. There's nothing wrong, there's nothing unchristian un about seeking a way out of your oppression, seeking a way out of someone else owning you. So believe me when I tell you what Peter tells us to do here is not Scripture's whole story about how I'm going to react to situations where I'm oppressed or where I am being treated unjustly. In general, the Bible's attitude about injustice is this. When wrong is done to me, I am never licensed to do wrong in return. We're going to get to that in a minute. But I am never, also, I, as often as I'm able, I am supposed to call out the wrong. Christians are not supposed to do evil, but we are supposed to call out evil. Paul says, Love cannot rejoice in evil. Love bears all things, but cannot rejoice in evil. And I know some Christians have said, well, love bears all things, therefore I'm just going to keep quiet. I'm just going to put up with it. I'm just going to put up with it. And I understand sometimes to survive, that seems like the best option. And in some cases, it is the only option available. But, but, but the loving and Christian thing to do is to call out evil whenever it's possible to do that. That is part of what Christians do. We are meant by God to be a mouthy bunch of people talking about God's truth whenever we get a chance to do it. Okay, I had to say all of that. Uh, that's not the fine print, that's just the print. All right? Now I have... 
I have like three points to make that I think Peter gives us within the context of this passage to help us deal with these situations. He gives us at least three pieces of advice. Look down, if you're following in your Bibles or on the study sheet, look at 1 Peter chapter 3, look down at verses 8 and 9. Look at verse 8. Finally, all of you be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. That's general advice. That kind of advice gets given all the time to these little Christian communities, which tells me that like us, they sometimes had problem treating each other well, right? So I know that Peter was just in general saying, treat each other well, be compassionate with each other. In relation to this specific set of problems, it's particularly pertinent. It's particularly relevant. And here's what I'm thinking today. So hear me out. When other people face evil, when I'm watching someone else face a situation where they're being mistreated and they're doing evil, we need to offer more sympathy and less judgment. I, um, you know, I have my opinions. I get paid to offer opinions, you know. I get paid to offer opinions here in Wilshire. I get paid to offer opinions over at uh, OC where I work as a teacher. So I have opinions. You can ask Yodi. I have opinions. I, I have opinions on things I have no right to have an opinion on, you know. Like how to cook. I'm always, she says, get out of the kitchen. Stop kibitzing. Uh, I have opinions. And, and when I see people behaving in certain ways, I immediately form opinions. And because they're my opinions, I, I'm sure they're right. I don't know if you're like that at all. Actually, I do. You are like that. Everyone's like that. If it's your opinion, it's right. And, and, and that's just that's built into us. But here's the deal. And, he, and he, this is something that every one of us needs to kind of remind ourselves of repeatedly. When somebody's in a painful and unjust situation, they're the ones in that situation, not us. And, and how they're managing us, how, they, how they're dealing with that, the decisions they are making day by day and week by week, they're the person that's in that situation, not us. And what they mostly need, I mean, we're going to have opinions. What they need from us most is sympathy and support. They may be doing it different than we would do it. And we might say, well, if I was in that position, I'd tell you what, I would bust him right in the face. And we might feel that we would. But to be honest, we don't know what we would do if the situation was reversed. And it's real easy to turn into a deputy oppressor in those situations. I can't believe you're letting that happen. I, just, I tell you what, you need to. You know, we, could, we can make the situation more painful and worse for a person. And what we need to be offering are the things that Peter mentions in verse 8. Love and sympathy. Fellowship kinds of things that go into fellowship, right? Because they're the ones that are in that situation. 
And we, we may have an opinion, but we do not have that lived experience. Okay, that's one point that I really, I hope we can keep that in mind when we're trying to help somebody through a difficult situation. Peter also says, look at verse 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult for insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing, because with this, to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. This is also an idea that's repeated many times in various parts of the New Testament. This is Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, Paul in Romans 12, so many other places. Christians are called to not add to the sum total of pain in the world, if we can help it. And retaliation, inflicting pain in retaliation for pain that's been inflicted, does add to the sum total of pain in the world. And so Jesus said, just get out of the retaliation business. Part of the problem with the retaliation business is that it creates a retaliation cycle that feeds on itself and escalates usually. You strike me on the cheek, I slug you in the teeth, you hit me with a baseball bat, I pull a knife. I mean, we know how those cycles go. We've seen it, I don't know how many times in the history of the human race. It happens between people, it happens between groups, it happens between nations. And it has generated so much suffering and evil. And so Jesus' solution to, hit, to us is to say, get out of the retaliation business. Do not repay evil with evil. Now, I've said this before. Our flesh jumps in as soon as evil happens. Our flesh jumps in and wants to do something bad back to the person who has done bad. That is, that is cooked into us. In fact, part of that is really just justice needs to happen, and that part's actually not even evil. Justice does need to happen. We're just not the instruments of justice. Romans 12 says quoting the Old Testament, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. I am going to be a bad instrument of God's justice. I'm going to be wrong a lot of the time. I'm going to mismanage. I'm going to not match the punishment to the crime very well. I, I'm just a bad person to pay back evil for evil. And so instead, I am to trust in God that he will pay back. And that's hard to do when evil is ongoing, when oppression is, is painful and burning. It is hard to say, I trust that one day God will pay back evil. But it is what Christians are called to. Every time evil happens, an objective evil happens to us, there is this slithering sound of Satan coming in to tempt us to do evil of our own in return. And Peter says, don't, don't let Satan do that to you. Don't fall into that trap 
of thinking that you can conquer this evil being done to you by stooping to evil of your own. Instead, Christians bless when they are cursed. They do good when evil is done to them. Part of doing good, by the way, is telling God's truth. And when you are able, you're not always able, it's not always safe, but when you are able, tell God's truth about the evil that's being done. Make sure that it's clear what's happening. The last thing, the last piece of advice that Peter gives us for dealing with these situations is in, back in chapter 2, verses 21 and following, he says, our strength in the face of either grows from remembering Christ. To this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth when they hurled their insults at him. He did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. In other words, Peter's saying, the thing I'm asking you to do, I know it's hard, but I'm hoping you'll remember that this is what Jesus did. Jesus had all the power to strike back at those who were hurting him. He refrained. Instead, he trusted, God will judge. And I will let God judge. He trusted him, himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins. This is the rest of this. If you picked up, you have a good Old Testament ear. This is, this is quoting from the Old Testament, quoting from Isaiah 53. He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live righteously. By his wounds you have been healed, for you were like sheep going astray, but now you have returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Peter says, if you're struggling with evil and oppression, and you feel the temptation to react with evil of your own, one of the things that's going to help is for you to meditate on how Jesus dealt with the evil that he was faced with and how he ultimately won the victory over evil by trusting God, trusting him, his whole self to God and, and, and refusing to enter into the cycle of evil himself. The more I meditate on Jesus Christ, the more I realize how much power he had and how he refrained, the more strength I will have to get through what it is that I'm going through. Nothing takes the pain away. Nothing solves the problem. The problem will ultimately be solved when Jesus comes back again. And that's the hope in which you and I live. Right now, in this fallen world, from the time that the church began until the time that Jesus comes back again, Christians will always live in situations where we have to face evil. The question is always, the question is always, when we face evil, will we trust that God is good and that Jesus will conquer? If you need to respond to the invitation, we're going to invite you to do that in just a minute. We're going to sing a song. If you need prayers, if you need help, if you're ready to receive baptism, to wash away all that old life of sin, to put on Jesus Christ, and to be a new person, 
And we're going to invite you to come as we stand and are led in song.